Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. I believe God's going to do something amazing in this place. How many want to see something you've never seen before? Amen. Anybody believe God can do that today? I'm expecting and believing that he will. Um, If you do have your Bible this morning, we're going to read from 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. And I will kind of give you a little bit of a warning today. It, it might feel kind of, I don't want to say childish, but it may be more of like an old school Sunday school lesson this morning. At least it feels that way to me as I was putting this together. Personally this year, just for me, I felt challenged by God to do something different in my Bible reading. So I don't know if any of you have done this before, but I'm reading my Bible in chronological order. So I'm not reading it book by book. I'm reading it as it happens, year by year and time by time. And so I felt like in this particular story we're going to go over today, the Lord was uh, wanting me to teach on this story. And so while you're turning into 2 Chronicles chapter 32, I do want to give honor this morning to our pastor, as well as Brother Roberts, just to be able to stand in the pulpit and teach this morning. I also want to give honor to my beautiful wife. And God has been good to me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. We're going to start at verse 22. And I'm sorry, I have a ton of scripture this morning. I'm just going to give you a warning. We're going to go old school this morning. So starting in verse 22, thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others. And guided them on every side. And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. In those days, or as time went on, Hezekiah became sick or was sick to the death. The Bible says he prayed to the Lord and the Lord spake unto him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not according to the benefit done to him. For his heart was lifted up, therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord didn't come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor, and he made himself treasuries for silver and gold and precious stones, for spices and shields, and for all manner of pleasant jewels, storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil and stalls for all manner of beasts and coats for flocks. Moreover, he provided him cities. God gave him cities and possessions of flocks and herd in abundance, for God gave him substance very much. We can say Hezekiah was blessed. This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of Gihon and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in everything that he did. He prospered in all his works. And this is the verse that we're going to kind of 
hammer in on the story here in verse 31. How be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him, they came to him to inquire about all that really God was doing in this time because we see Hezekiah was blessed. The Bible says that God left him in this to try him, that he might know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Would you bow your heads this morning as we pray? God, I pray, God, in this story today, God, I pray, God, you would open up our hearts, open up our minds, God, to hear from you. God, I thank you, Lord. This is the day the Lord has made, and my choice, God, is I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, speak to us from your word today, God, so that we may grow in you. And if you pray that in Jesus' name, you may be seated. So this morning, I'd like to teach on a very simple concept. Probably we don't talk about a lot, but I want to teach on a prideful heart. A prideful heart. We talk about pride, and we look at verse 31 that I pointed out there in 2 Chronicles. The Bible said that God tried Hezekiah in this situation where the ambassadors came to visit him. How many like tests? Anybody? Nope. Brother Christian, I got one. You know, we take a lot of tests. And uh, I like school. I like school. I said it before. I like math and all that. So I don't like the tests. I feel like we got to cram before a test comes, right? But how many like being tested when you don't even know you're tested? I, I'm, I'm thankful and I gave honor to my wife, but there's something about having one, two, three kids. When my wife leaves the house and I'm alone with the kids and the kitchen's dirty and the house is not clean, I'm being tested without even knowing that I'm being tested. Anybody, any, any, any husbands can agree with me? There's, there's something about being tested, and you don't even know that you're being tested. How many of you have ever messed up? Show of hands. I wish y'all could see my toes. They're pointing up, too. Um, a lot of times we mess up. We don't even know we were tested, but we still messed up. It happens to all of us. We mess up sometimes, and some of us, I'll go ahead and jump to the front of the line, we mess up not just sometimes, but a lot of times. And I would say it's hard to mess up, but I would be lying, and I don't want to be a reproach to y'all this morning. The truth is it's easy to mess up, too easy to mess up in a lot of cases. The hard part, though, is when we mess up, and then someone comes along and has to just offer a correction when we mess up. How many like that feeling when someone has to tell you, oh, this is what you did wrong? How many I told you so's do we have in the building? Have you heard that many, many times? My wife comes home and the kitchen still left as it was when she left. And I get that look where I know I done did something wrong. Um, however, hopefully when you are corrected, it's done with grace and gentleness. But we know that's not the case in a lot of times. Some of us don't have the patience or the grace to give that correction as it should be. Let's be real this morning. People can be nasty. They can get in your face and tell you you're the one that made a mistake. You're the one that messed up. Still, 
whether we're given correction in a graceful manner or not, we are responsible for our response. We get to choose how we're going to react. I'm teaching my children right now, you can't, you can't control what other people do. If, if they don't want to play with you, it's not, it's not their fault, it's your fault. It's your, your problem, your attitude that's out of line. But we get to choose. The first option is when someone corrects us, do we mess it up even more by taking a self-protective stance, trying to prove how not wrong we are, and we start casting blame or even getting angry in return when that person starts, you know, confronting you with your problem? Or two, do we take the criticism? Do we weigh it fairly and seek discernment and just admit when we did wrong? Well, Michelle, I didn't know you were going to be gone for two hours. I would have known I would have cleaned the kitchen. I thought you were just going around the corner, visiting someone, and you were going to be right back. I would have fixed the kitchen up if I had known that, right? Husbands, can I get, help? Can I get a little help? You know, the second option, we just need to fess up. We just need to admit that we're the ones in the wrong. The truth is, with these two scenarios, though, I've tried number one too many times to count. And it gets messy in a hurry when I get defensive. It involves a lot of feelings on my side and on the other person's side. Pride starts rising up in me and the need to protect my reputation, right? Because you ain't going to tell me, you know, I'm the one. Whoa, now, hold on a second. Hold on a second. A lot of times, the first option is where we originally immediately go into our minds. But how many have also tried number two? And I know the second option is a lot harder than the first. But when we admit that we're the ones in the wrong, it benefits everybody involved, especially the people that are watching you from the outside. It entertains that your heart is pliable. Pharaoh's heart was hardened every time God brought a a plague to Egypt. And if we're the ones who will be admitting the ones that we're in the, in the wrong, it softens our heart. And we can start understanding where we need to get better. And it also shows we're willing to reconcile or fix the problem that is taking place. But as we talk about pride this morning, we need to understand pride oftentimes is an undercover sin. It's subtle. Pride is a subtle thing. We shouldn't be surprised that pride often leads people falling further into sin or further into deeper sin. But the truth is, and I want to call it what it is this morning, pride is sin. We sugarcoat it a lot of times because it, it, it's difficult on our emotions and feelings, but pride is a sin. The sin of pride, this is kind of like the definition. It's an excessive preoccupation with yourself or your own importance your own achievements, your own status, your own possessions. That's the sin of pride. And this sin is considered rebellion against God because it attributes to oneself the honor and glory that only God is due. If you go back in time and look at how it all started, pride is what got Satan and Lucifer kicked out of heaven. He said, if I can just be like God, and even in the garden, pride was at work when he was talking to Eve and got her to eat of the fruit. He said that in Genesis chapter 3, and I'm just paraphrasing here, but he said that 
you know, this fruit, if you really ate it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be able to see like God. You'll be able to understand what he knows and you're missing out. And that's pride when we want something, you know, we want to be just like God and know exactly what God has. Pride was at work there. I read an article that said pride can be like spiritual carbon monoxide, a silent and slow killer of our relationship with God and other people. As ordinary people, we're quick to recognize a boastful or maybe a pompous person, but we're not so adept at identifying prideful patterns in our everyday thoughts and actions. Aside from bragging, which is an obvious sign of pride, let me ask you this. What does spiritual pride look like? How can you spot it? How can you be aware of it? Or do you need someone else to spot it for you? Do you need God to point it out and say, oh, it's starting to rise up? And how can we be vigilant enough to recognize it and start to weed it out of our life? You know, this world sees pride as something to be celebrated. But as believers, we know that pride in ourself, it disturbs the Lord. When pride is rooted in selfishness and not God, it hinders us from walking in the spirit. Proverbs 16 and 5 says this, the Lord, and I'm reading the New Living Translation, the Lord detests the proud. They, those proud people, will surely be punished. The King James Version says it's an abomination to the Lord. The proud in heart, the prideful heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 11 and 2 says, when pride cometh, then comes shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. James 4 and 10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. How many of you want to be lifted up? Lifted up above a lot of things, above your current circumstance, above your past. You want to be lifted up to a closer or deeper level with him. In order to do that, you can't use pride. Pride isn't how we become lifted up. It's accomplished by the opposite. And that is, in order to be lifted up by the Lord, you have to learn to humble yourself. You got to be humble. A prideful heart is dangerous because it blinds us. We become so caught up in ourselves, what I'm doing, where I'm going, what I gain out of this situation, and maybe even what I lose out of this situation. We can quickly lose sight of God and where he's leading us when we allow pride to take over in our lives. Worse, pride can even cause us to lose sight of even what God has done for us. And we start taking all the credit for ourselves, all the glory for ourselves. That's what pride leads to. Evangelist C.G. Finney wrote this. He said, pride of heart may be defined as a disposition of mind to exalt ourselves. It's a spirit of self-exaltation, a disposition to get out of our own place and get above those who may be right in our own estimation to be above ourselves. We do it to appease ourselves, to feel better about ourselves, is what he's saying. The pride of heart deceives men, he says. It renders men in a great measure blind to their own faults. The man of a proud heart will not see his own faults. He doesn't even have a desire to see them. He would sooner see anything else in the world than see the bad side of his own character. 
And of course, he takes every precaution to avoid the honest view of himself. He has no intention or even desire to find his own proper level in society, but tries to deceive both himself and others. He would create an imagination of himself that's vastly better than he really is and make everybody else believe it if he can. Hence, he'll overlook his faults either wholly or at least as far as he can and will be glad to make others do the same. This is one of the workings of a proud heart, he says. He also says real quick that those who are proud in heart, it leads them to make excuses or even start to disguise those areas of, our, of their lives that have the faults. If a proud man can no longer cover his own faults, then the excuses will be his next resort. He'll be the last man to come to a candid and honest or a thorough evaluation of his faults because he doesn't want anyone else to know how down and out he really is. Has anybody ever been there where you make excuses for your actions, where you allow pride to take the front seat and you don't want anyone else to see how bad it really is? Can you relate to that on some level? We have to learn to identify when pride is in us. And when we see it in us, we got to identify it and quickly deal with it. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. New Living Translation says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but you got to confess those who confess and forsake them will obtain mercy. And so we're going to get to the story of Hezekiah in a moment, but there is one more point I'd like to touch on regarding pride. And for me, this is where it kind of gets real as we think about this topic. This is where pride hits home for me. Sometimes this sin of pride, it isn't really a matter of obeying a command. It doesn't have anything to do with someone telling us, you know, this is what you ought to do. When that confrontation comes up, when someone tries to correct you, it's not the commandment that they're telling you that's really the sin of pride. It doesn't have to do with the decision or the action that's made. Usually the sin of pride has to do about our attitude toward what they're saying. It has to do about how we feel about what they're telling us to do. You need to do this. Well, I don't feel like that's what I need to do, so I'm not going to do it. That's where pride really starts to come in. And if we're not careful, pride can even puff up our view of what's going on in our life over God's view of what's going on in our life. One of the trademark lines in the Bible calls the proud as those who do right in their own eyes. Anytime you read that little snippet in Scripture of this person was trying to do right in their own eyes. That's a sign of pride. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. Proverbs 16 and 5. That's the message translation of that. But often pride and, and our attitude of pride starts to rise up when we've been either hurt in a situation or our expectations haven't been met in a situation. That's when pride rises up. And if we're not careful, it's in that moment we can turn against the Lord in angst or kind of in anger and 
in, in a mindset of, God, how could this happen to me? Or we can even begin to mistrust the Lord, and we start to rely on our own perceptions. We forget or dismiss Scripture's repeated affirmations that God is unfailing, he's wise, he's good, he's loving. All that goes out of the door when our attitude of pride rises up. We forget, you know, God did this for me last week. Well, here I am, God. Why haven't you done it for me now? Pride rises up, and we immediately can forget what the Lord has done for us in a moment. Rather than waiting upon God and resting under his authority, we start to formulate or even force our own plans because of our own pride. As I was studying for this message or this, this, this lesson my, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is, I'll bless the Lord at all times. But there was something that hit me from the Lord and said, well, what about those times pride rose up in you? Did you bless me then? Were, were you still having praise continually be on your lips, as that verse says, or was your attitude not right? And this was the Lord just convicting me as I was studying for this. But as we look to Hezekiah now, the, the moral of this story is look at the pride in his heart in one moment. All it takes is one moment. If you don't get anything out of this lesson, one moment is all it takes to interrupt what God is doing in your life, and pride can ruin it. So now the story and account of King Hezekiah, it's a deep one. And I got a lot of scripture this morning. I don't want to overwhelm anyone. But this story of Hezekiah, it takes place in three different books of the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 16 through 20 tells us the story of Hezekiah. 2 Chronicles 28 through 32 also tells the same story. Isaiah chapter 36 through 39 tells the same story. All of these are interwoven. They're overlapping one another. All these different accounts describe the story of his time as king. And if you read the, the whole context of the story, a lot of things are taking place at one time. And I'm going to kind of give you a backstory and kind of hurry through this. But Hezekiah was the king of Judah. If you go back to Israel's first king, King Saul, then next was King David, then next was King Solomon. It was during these days that Israel or the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this was the only moment up until now, those first few kings, this was the only time Israel had one king. After Solomon the nation of Israel became divided. Many of you remember Pastor, he preached the message on the sin of Jeroboam. Anybody remember that, that message? Well, Jeroboam became king over the southern kingdom after Solomon was king, and he would be known as the king of Israel. And then Solomon's son would face a revolt. Half the nation left to go with Jeroboam. The other half stayed with Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And, and Rehoboam would become the king of Judah or the northern kingdom. So when I say that Hezekiah was king of Judah, you guys can kind of understand what I'm talking about here. But it's important to note both sides or both of these kingdoms, they all had issues. If you read 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and Isaiah, king after king, the Bible describes of both of these nations, especially on the account of the southern kingdom of Israel, was evil in the sight of the Lord. Jeroboam started a trend as king, and he was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the next king was evil, and the next king was evil, and the next king was evil. All of this kept going on and on and on. And then the kingdom of Judah, where Rehoboam started, 
they didn't kind of face as many problems as Israel, but they still had times where their king did evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, was evil in the sight of the Lord. He was one of those kings. He caused the people to sin by serving idols and other gods. So now we come to Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 29, starting at verse 1. It says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His, mother name, his mother's name was Abiah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Verse 3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month even, he opened the doors to the house of the Lord and repaired them. So Hezekiah here, as we look at this story of his life, he was a good king, the Bible tells us. Immediately after becoming king, in the first month of his reign, he starts to right the wrongs and restore the house of the Lord that his father and those before him had left to disrepair. He got rid of the idols from the past kings, and he caused the people to turn to God. The Bible tells us he even set the Levites back over the work to be done in the house of the Lord. If you read the story, he also became close to the prophet Isaiah, the prophet and the man of God, and repeatedly asked Isaiah for counsel and word from the Lord. And if I could relate Hezekiah to us, I would say he was just like many of us. He desired to do what was right. How many want to do what is right, right? All of us desire to do that. He often sought the man of God and the word of God during times of need. How many of y'all do that, right? When you have a need, where do you go? You go to the house of the Lord. You sit under our pastor who gives us the word we need in times of need. Just like us, when we need to hear from the Lord, we run to the church. We run to the place where we know God is, and we listen to the word that's preached and taught to gain direction. Hezekiah is just like us. A lot of times we like to glorify the characters in the Bible, but Hezekiah was just like me and you. Hezekiah knew how to call on the name of the Lord. God did miracles for Hezekiah. Second Chronicles 32, in verse 22, thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of this king of Assyria. Not only from him, but God says that from all the other nations that were coming against him, God saved him. Verse 23, and many gifts were brought unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all the nations from thenceforth. In those days, Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him and gave him a sign. So real quickly, I want to recap. Hezekiah was a good man who had a solid relationship with God. God provided for him in his time of need. How many of y'all can relate, right? Y'all are all good people. Hopefully you are. If you believe you are, I have a solid belief that you are. You all are good people who have a solid, good, proven relationship with the Lord. And I know some of y'all's testimony. God has been good to us, amen? God has brought us out of a lot of mess. Those tests I talked about earlier, when we fail those tests, you fill in the blank for your own life. God has brought us out of a lot. 
He's provided for us and come through in our hour of need. But just like we're going to see with Hezekiah, I don't want us really this morning to focus on how we walk with God during the tough times. Because, believe it or not, when things get bad enough, everybody turns to the Lord when it's tough. But we're going to see with Hezekiah, the question or the focus I want us to learn is how do we treat God in the good times? Do we still have the same zeal for the Lord in the good times? Do we still reflect his glory? Do we still give him glory during our times of blessing? Or do we just forget about it? Do we just, now it's our moment to shine. Our pride starts to rise because we're on the mountaintop. We're not in the valley anymore. As we'll see with Hezekiah, all it takes is just a moment. Somebody say a moment. How long is a moment? Anybody know? How long is a moment? Let me just pause for a second. I do a Brother Roberts. Three, two, one. Was that a moment? Anybody? Is that too long of a moment? Too short of a moment? Can you measure a moment? Can you quantify a moment? Let me ask you this, because this is an interesting question. Have you ever missed your moment? Yeah? A lot of us have, right? Have you ever missed your opportunity? And it's only by having the eyes or the, the, the know-how to look back, we realize the moment has left us, right? Hezekiah got caught up, as we'll see, in one moment of selfishness and pride. He fell into one moment, and he, fall, and he fell into the trap of welcoming. And the Bible says, as we'll see in a moment, he hearkened or he desired or even considered to join himself with the world. One moment was all it took. And God, and it just unraveled all the momentum God was doing in his life. So here's the crux of the story. Second Kings chapter 20, and I apologize for this lengthy passage of scripture, but hang in with me for a moment. And you'll understand this story. We read earlier, Hezekiah was sick, right? In those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, this is a word right here. Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order because you're going to die. You're sick. You ain't getting better. Set your house in order. You're not going to make it through this. You're going to die. How many would want that word from the Lord? Nobody would. And so the Bible says in the next verse, Hezekiah, after hearing those words, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed unto the Lord saying this, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I've been a good king. I've walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart. And I've done that which was right in thy sight. And Hezekiah began to weep. How many have ever prayed that? Lord, not now. God, I've done it. Just how you said for me to do it. Not now, Lord. And the Bible says in the next verse, it came to pass after Isaiah spoke the word of the Lord to him. Before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, the word of the Lord came back to him saying this. Verse 5, turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people. Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father. I have heard your prayer, Hezekiah. I've seen your tears. Behold, I'm going to heal you. On the third day, you shall go up unto the house of the Lord. And I'm going to add unto your days 15 years. Ain't that a word right there? Amen. And I'm going to deliver you 
and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said this to those that were listening, take a lump of figs. And they took it and laid it on the boil. And Isaiah recovered. I mean, and Hezekiah recovered. I'm sorry. In verse 8, and Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up unto the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said this, this sign shall thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or back 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, it's a light thing for the shadow to go forward 10 degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried on the Lord, and the Lord brought the shadow 10 degrees backwards, by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. So let me pause for a second and fill in some details. It's during this time that, number one, Hezekiah, now he's sick. So sick, he's going to die. And Isaiah confirms this with a word from the Lord that none of us want to hear. And Hezekiah prays, and God answers his prayer and heals him. Not only does he heal him, but he adds 15 years to his life. What a powerful testimony that is. Next, God gave Hezekiah a sign. He moved the shadow backwards 10 degrees. I wish I could see that. Anybody wish you could see that? In my mind, here's what happened. God made the, move, the sun go from here back here. He just turned back time. I'm going to make time go backwards just for a moment. Something that had never been done. God did a new thing. Again, what a testimony for Hezekiah. Next, Hezekiah and Judah during this time, they were facing an attack from the king of Assyria. During this moment in time, Assyria had become the dominant world power. They'd conquered every nation that opposed them, including that other kingdom of Israel, the kingdom that was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. They had captured that kingdom. God had allowed, due to their sin, God had allowed the Assyrians to capture them. If you read the story here, the Assyrians were now surrounding this city where King Hezekiah was. They were surrounding Judah. And Judah was facing a famine as a result of what this king was doing. And so on top of everything that's happening, this king would come to the gates of Judah every day. And he would declare there was no God, no man. No nation, no person that had stopped them up until this point. So what makes the people? He would tell Hezekiah's citizens. He would come and say, what has Hezekiah done for you? What has your king done for you? Look at what we've done, and Hezekiah won't be able to stop us. Every day he was constantly at the gates telling these people, and they were losing hope in Hezekiah. And so if you look at verse 6 again in our story, God tells Hezekiah that he would save him and deliver him from the hand of the king of Assyria. And yet again, God is faithful to his word. He healed him. He gave him a sign. And as we're going to read here, he delivered him from the king of Assyria. Isaiah 33, I mean 37 in verse 33 says this. Therefore, this is Isaiah speaking to Hezekiah again on this matter or this word from the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He's not going to come into this city. He's not even going to shoot an arrow into this city, God says. He's not going to come and bring a shield against this city. He's not even going to cast a bank against this city. 
The same way that this evil king has come, in the next verse, the same way he's going to return. He shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. Verse 35, for I will defend this city and save it for mine own sake, for my servant David's sake. And look at this right here, the next verse. Then the angel of the Lord went went forth, right? This, This army is camped outside the gates of Judah. The angel of the Lord went forth through the night and smote the camp of the Assyrians. 185,000 soldiers died in one night. Boom. The next morning, this king arose and he saw all these dead corpses, the Bible says. So in the next verse, the king departed and returned, just like God said he would, back to his own country. Come on, somebody. Can you imagine God doing that for you? Can you imagine being surrounded on every side by the enemy? And God heals you. First of all, you're sick. Then God turns time backwards by 10 degrees, right? And then he says, I'm going to not let this king destroy you. I'm going to save you and deliver you. What an amazing testimony of God's provision. All this Hezekiah got to witness. But now we come to the test. Now we come to the moment where God tests him. 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 12. While all this was going on, Baradadak Baladan, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say that. The son of Baladan, king of Babylon, he sees what's going on. He sees all these miraculous things taking place. And so he sends letters and a present unto Hezekiah. For he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And if you read the Second Chronicles account of this, it says that these ambassadors from Babylon, they had come to inquire about the wonders of the land. Isn't that how it always happens? When God starts blessing you, when he starts providing for you, when he starts healing and making ways where there seems to be no way, when God does miracles, signs, and wonders, the world takes notice. People that you haven't talked to in a long time, they take notice of what's going on. You better believe that the world wants what we have. You better believe that they want the same victories that we have. Amen? In verse 13, here's the story. Hezekiah, the Bible says, he hearkened to these Babylonian ambassadors. If you look into that word, he desired to join forces with them. And the Bible says, here's where the test was failed. My God. The Bible says he showed them all the house of his precious things. He showed them the silver and the gold, the spices, the precious ointment all the house of his armor, all that was found in his treasures. The Bible says there was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet to Hezekiah and said unto him, what did you say to these guys? Why did they come to you? We know why they came, right? They came to see what was going on in Hezekiah's life. And Hezekiah says, they've come from a far country. They came from Babylon. And he said, Isaiah says to Hezekiah, okay, you've been showing them around your house. What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, all the things that are in my house they've seen. There's nothing that I didn't show them that I have. There's nothing in my possession that I didn't show them. 
And if you look at this story, it's a shame how foolish pride makes us look when we reflect on a certain situation. The Babylonians, they had came to hear about the amazing things taking place in Hezekiah's life. They came to see why he was healed of his sickness, how God turned back time, how God destroyed the enemy that was surrounding him. That's why they came. And all Hezekiah could do was boast about himself. Remember, God healed him, gave him more years to live, showed him a sign and delivered him from the enemy. And yet he wanted to show them his treasures. He wanted to show them his wealth. It's foolish because here he is pointing them to earthly things. The same things that the other nations were worshiping, the silver and the gold. Babylonians didn't need to see that. They didn't come to see that. If they wanted to see that, there were other places they could have gone. If there's anything that I'd like to reveal in this story, it's this. When the moment comes, when the world turns their eyes to see what's different about you, do you begin to take all the credit? Or do you give credit where it's due, and that's to the Lord? What's your conversation like in that moment when that coworker said, man, there's something different about you? What's your conversation like in that moment? Are you talking about yourself? Or does it immediately go to, well, you need to know God is the one that has blessed me where I'm at. What do you display to that person when they come to see what's different about you? What's going on? There's something different. You've been, there's something better about you. There's a light that I see in you. What are you displaying to them when they come in that, in that moment? The end of Hezekiah's story is a bit of a sad one. In verse 16 of 2 Kings 20, Isaiah says to Hezekiah, after these ambassadors have come, he says to him, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the day is coming that everything that's in your house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day, those things that you were so proud to show those Babylonians, they're going to be carried off into Babylon, into Babylon, and nothing's going to be left, says the Lord. And thy sons that shall issue from thee, though that which thou shalt beget, your sons that are going to come in the future, they're going to be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now understand, there's a lot that transpires after Hezekiah is gone to lead to this prophecy of Isaiah coming true. But I think it was last Sunday, Brother Cade taught us about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were the descendants, and you guessed, they descended from Hezekiah. And where were those boys in captivity at? They were in captivity in none other than Babylon. There's a lot that occurred, again, after Hezekiah failed this test. But I really wonder, what would Isaiah have said to him? How would the story have transpired if Hezekiah hadn't been so eager to boast about his possessions? He hearkened, he desired, he considered joining himself with these folks so much to the point that the Bible says he showed them all of his treasures. But he forgot to introduce and show them to the most important treasure of all. That was God. I read a commentary on this story that further summarized it and it says this. During Hezekiah's reign, the city-state of Babylon began asserting 
its independence from Assyria. Eventually, Babylon would replace this Assyrian empire with an empire of their own. But in Hezekiah's day, they were fighting that king of Assyria just like Hezekiah was. And so it was in Babylon's interest to encourage the other powers that were resisting Assyria. And this is why they inquired about Hezekiah's recovery. This is the main reason why they wanted to find out what was going on, because they were fighting against this king as well. So when the Babylonian emissaries arrived at Jerusalem to wish Hezekiah well, Hezekiah could have, or better yet, should have taken the opportunity to proclaim that his salvation was of the Lord. He could have said that since Judah's trust was in the one true God, Judah wasn't interested in any partnership with Babylon against their common enemy. Yet Hezekiah did neither. He gave the emissaries a view of his treasuries. And if you look deeply into it, it's his attitude that was wrong. It's his pride that was wrong because he was saying, you know what? Look at all I have. You know, Judah would make a fine partner with Babylon. Despite this, Hezekiah was tempted, and here's where the pride was wrong. He was tempted to put his trust in partnering up with another nation to kill the Assyrians rather than putting his full trust in God. That was where the problem lies. And so as I come to a close this morning, please stand with me. I have it in my notes here, and I just want to add a little snippet, but I challenge you to study this. Babylon, every time you read about Babylon in Scripture, they're always synonymous with the world, just like Egypt. I, I challenge you to look this up. If you look up the first time Babylon is ever mentioned in Scripture, right? The children of Israel are now, Joshua's leading them in the promised land. They defeat Jericho, and they come to the city of Ai where they lose a battle. And the whole reason they lose a battle is because one person, the Bible says he saw a garment of Babylonian clothing. And that garment, he desired to have it so much. That was the reason why Israel lost that battle when they got into the promised land. But if I challenge you, look it up. Babylon is always synonymous with the world, idolatry, perversion, playing the harlot, the book of Revelation says. And so here Hezekiah is hearkening or desiring to join up with the Babylons that he showed them everything that he has. And he forgot to show them the most important thing of all, and that was God. I don't know about you, but I've got some treasures that I don't want the world, I don't want Babylon to see. My children, my wife, my devotion to the Lord. I don't want them to have influence over that part of my life. So that treasure, I don't want to show them. I don't want to show them all my house like Hezekiah showed those folks that came. And so in conclusion, as we talk about pride this morning, I found a questionnaire that said, here are four questions to determine if you're developing a prideful heart. Question number one, who helped you get where you're at today? If you struggle to come up with names or specific ways in which others, and let me put it into a spiritual context, in which God has helped you to advance. If you're struggling to find a, an answer to that question, you likely have a prideful heart. None of us can advance in life without some help. 
the name of those who've helped us. And we saw Hezekiah was helped. God healed him and gave him a sign and, and, and delivered him from the enemy. But he's still in a moment of pride for God about the Lord. The names of those who've helped us should roll easily off our tongues, especially as the greatest one we can point to is Jesus. The second question of this questionnaire, what dominates your conversation? Consider the last few discussions you had with someone. What did you talk about? If you're struggling with a prideful heart, you most likely focused on these topics. You focused on what I've done, what I've been doing, or what I'm planning to do. Has selfishness or pride taken a driver's seat in your conversations? The next question was, who knows about the last mistake you made? Because a prideful heart denies responsibility for their mistakes or glosses over their errors to protect their reputation. It either says, I'm not wrong, or I won't let anyone else know that I was wrong. And the truth is, we all have made mistakes recently, probably today, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And if no one knows about them, then you're walking around probably on cloud nine, in your mind at least. And here's what's standing in your way is a prideful heart. And the last question is, when was the last time you asked for help? People who struggle with a prideful heart often make key decisions without input from anybody. Friends, family, they do it all on their own. And yes, they don't even ask Jesus for help. And you know what? They seldom look to anyone when they're struggling with the issues of life. And it's a sign of pride. We got to open up our heart. And I'm not just saying to open up your heart to anybody. Please understand that. First and foremost, you got to put your trust in the Lord and watch how he'll put his trust in you. As I close this morning, keep your trust in God. Don't let your pride take you away from him. Be faithful. Be humble. Keep doing the will of God and be blessed. Amen. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.